are at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. It's a school day in early February 2019. The gates are closed. I presume they're locked. And there are security officers or campus monitors visible throughout the campus. Sitting on the northeast side of the campus is the freshman building. That's the scene of the shooting last February. I recently spoke with a Stoneman Douglas student named Kyle Lehman. Kyle was shot in the lower right leg during the shooting last year. He's really lucky to have made it out of the building alive. He's a tough kid and he's back at school after a bunch of surgeries and he's likely got more surgeries ahead of him. He told me the side of the freshman building on campus brings back painful memories. I think anybody going back in that situation, it would be almost traumatic to go back into that area where you went through such yeah. horror. Even just to see the building, you just, sometimes I can hear gunshots in my head or I can hear screaming or, and it scares me. Like I'll walk past the building one, like I pa I'll tell you one thing, like I passed by the building once, I think it was after the shooting and I could still hear screaming. And even like this year, it was, it was, I could still hear the screams and, and, the, and the gunshots going off and it scares me. It's painful for the victim's families to see it too. I asked Ryan Petty about it. His daughter, Elena, was murdered here at Stoneman Douglas. How is it for you to see the building? I mean, have you, do you drive by it? Do you see it? Do you try to avoid it? I drive by it almost daily, certainly several times a week. Um, I don't, I don't look at it very often when we drive by. Yeah. I'm aware of its presence, but I, I just sort of drive by and make the right or left, depending on which way I'm going. It's as if this building that I'm looking at, the freshman building, is a visual representation of everything that went wrong on February 14, 2018. All the breakdowns and failures and mistakes that allowed the confess shooter onto the campus and into that building to be able to carry out his more than five and a half minute attack. And knowing what happened in that building, it is really hard to look at it. It's still a secure crime scene at this point, according to prosecutors, and it won't be torn down anytime soon. I'm Kerry Codd with CBS4 News in Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Being here at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and seeing the freshman building makes me wonder two things. One, are our schools safer today than they were on the day of the Parkland shooting? And what's being done to fix them? That's the second question. Those are the questions I recently asked a couple of fathers of Parkland victims. Do you think our schools are safer today than they were a year ago when this happened? If they are, it's accidental um, and unintentional, unfortunately. Again, here's Ryan Petty. It may be because there's height, a heightened sense of vigilance on the part of teachers and administrators and students that, that this could, what happened in Parkland could happen somewhere else. I also spoke with Max Schachter. His son, Alex, was murdered at Stoneman Douglas. Are our schools safer today than they were on February 14th? What's going to prevent the next murderer from bringing a gun, a handgun, onto campus tomorrow? I'm Kerry Codd with CBS4 News in Miami, Fort Lauderdale. This is Parkland, one year later. Of all the families of the Parkland victims, these two men, Ryan Petty and Max Schachter, might be the most well-versed in the conversation about school safety. 
They each served on the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission. That's the commission that investigated every detail of the shooting, what led up to it, and the fallout from it. I attended a bunch of the commission meetings to report on them, and I read many of their reports. The commission did exhaustive work. A law enforcement officer told me after the shooting that from a law enforcement perspective, it seemed that everything that could go wrong that day did go wrong. It appears to be a similar story with school safety. Many policies that were supposed to work didn't, and much of it was apparently because of choices people made. To understand the conversation about school safety from this past year, I think you have to understand how we got to this point. I remember a story I did with Ryan Petty a few months back where he listed off several obvious failures on the day of the shooting. Gates were open and unguarded. Um, Gates were opened early. Uh, Code red was not called for three minutes and 16 seconds. Those were glaring mistakes, and we would learn about more glaring mistakes over the months. Another failure, according to the families, was the lack of hard corners or safe spaces in the vast majority of the classrooms at Stoneman Douglas. Hard corners are marked off areas in a classroom where students can gather and not be seen through a window or door opening. In Parkland, the confessed shooter never even entered a single classroom in the freshman building. He shot through door windows or shot people in the hallway. You know, as a mother, it's heartbreaking. Lori Oladef's daughter, Alyssa, was one of the victims. Lori is now a Broward school board member, and she told me a few months back that hard corners might have saved Alyssa. She was shot the first time, and the shooter went across the hallway, and he came back at her again, and she didn't move, and she was in the direct line of fire. But if that hard corner was there, she could have ran to that area and hypothetically could still be alive today. When we drop our kids at school, there's an expectation that they'll be safe and that they'll come home at the end of the school day. The Parkland families felt that way on February 14th. Yet the amount of failures of the school's fail-safes that day was staggering. There was a school resource deputy, Scott Peterson, who did not rush into the freshman building to confront the confessed shooter. He might have saved lives if he had. Here's Max Schachter from a commission meeting in November. He's a piece of garbage. He could have gone in and saved six children's lives, and he chose to do nothing. That state commission found a bunch of other failures, like school officials being warned about the confessed shooter's disturbing and violent behavior well before the shooting, but not acting on those concerns. Also, the school district not having a specific code red policy. And a campus monitor who saw the confessed shooter walking onto campus with a, quote, rifle bag, unquote, and did not stop him. People who sat on the commission that investigated the shooting found all these failures hard to fathom. But I, I keep going back to if you had the front gates locked, if the front door was locked, if Medina confronted the guy when he should have, if, if the school resource officer Peterson challenged the man when he should have, um, you might have a different outcome here. If, if, if. If just one of those things had happened on the campus that day, maybe we would have seen a different outcome. How do you accept all those failures if your child or husband was murdered at school where they're supposed to be safe? The truth is, it's impossible to accept. Just ask the Parkland families, like Debbie Hickson, whose husband Chris was a campus monitor who was murdered that day. The biggest um, button pusher, I guess, or thing that really sets me off is how easily it could have been avoided on the day. There were security monitors that could have called a code red that, for whatever reason, chose not to. That could have stopped it before it started. Or ask Lori Oladef. You know, as a mother, it's heartbreaking. Call the code red. Lock doors. Lock gates. You see someone with a rifle bag, 
you take them out. You do whatever you need to do. This should never have happened. There were so many people that made mistakes. And you know, now, though, as a school board member, I need to make sure that this never happens again. Here in Broward County, the school district announced back in December, 10 months after the Parkland shooting, that they were instituting some major changes recommended by the commission. They established that code red policy. They allowed anyone on campus to call a code red. They created hard corners in classrooms, and they gave law enforcement access to live school surveillance cameras. But for the Parkland families and many others in the community, they wondered, why did it take so long? They said these were low-cost, common-sense steps the district could have taken to improve school security in the days immediately following Parkland. Here's Debbie Hickson and Max Schachter. The, the problem is there's no urgency. They, they're not working with a sense of urgency. The hard corners and the safe spaces, but it needs to be rolled out to the entire uh, district. Um, this should have been done a long time ago, and it, it upsets me that it's taken so long. So the two policies that we have... Broward School Superintendent Robert Runcie has kept his job despite criticism from the Parkland families. Some of them have called for his removal. Over the past year, we've spoken with Runcie on numerous occasions about safety concerns and failures and other school security issues. A couple of weeks ago at a news conference, I asked him about the criticism from the Parkland families about a lack of urgency to make changes after the shooting and how he'll change the safety culture within the school district. And I can tell you, since February 14th, we've worked on nothing but security and safety in this district. We, we're putting a culture in of safety. That's part of what everyone needs to think about relentlessly. Um, so all gates are locked during um, school hours. When gates are open, um, there's somebody there monitoring those gates. This regular meeting of the school board of Broward County, Florida is now called to order. Recently, the Broward School Board instituted that hard corners policy. And during a board meeting, Runcie explained why making that change is more complicated than it seems. He said safety experts and law enforcement have concerns about a uniform hard corners policy that won't fit every classroom or every emergency situation. We have rooms that have multiple doors. Um, we have classrooms uh, with windows. Um, so, again, um, there are practical limitations. And, you know, it may seem real simple and trivial to many, but we have to ensure that there's a a real understanding from the public of what these um, spaces are and what we're actually trying to accomplish. Runcie said the discussion over hard corners shows why the district cannot just respond to every criticism with a quick change. Ultimately, Runcie told me that the school district has put in place a number of security changes to district schools following the Parkland tragedy. Uh, I'd like the public to continue to understand that there are multiple levels of security measures that we're putting in schools. We've implemented um, additional fencing, single-point entry. Uh, we've made sure there are armed guardians or SROs at every school. We have enhanced protocols about uh, visitors on campus and how that works. We've actually upgraded our video surveillance cameras as well. Uh, we're putting more radios, new intercom systems in. Uh, we're allowing law enforcement to be able to view our video surveillance on a real-time basis. So in the, in the totality of what we're doing is making our schools significantly safer. But critics would say that those measures, while necessary, are much too late to bring back the 17 victims. School safety is an ongoing and critical topic here in South Florida. That's understandable after Parkland. And during a recent school board meeting, Runcie made a telling comment about his sense of how safety and security issues are being discussed and handled across the country. We rely on the expertise of security experts um, that we've engaged 
Uh, we've talked to other people around the country. We've talked to districts across the state of Florida and around the country. And you don't see much of this going on at all. So, I mean, in some ways, um, Broward County is a pioneer and we probably should be um, national leaders in safety and security. As I've always said, that's our goal, to be the safest school district in America. I think we'll get there um, because we have to, and we're under a greater microscope than anyone else. To get more insight into how schools create a culture of school safety and security, I reached out to a national school safety expert. I am Ken Trump, president of National School Safety and Security Services in Cleveland, Ohio. Ken Trump is not related to the president, but he has been a school safety officer, school safety director, and a consultant on school safety for 30 years. He said this requires much more than physical upgrades and equipment. So how do they embed the policies, procedures, people, and systems? How do they make that part of the culture? It takes leadership, and oftentimes uh, school safety is a, a leadership issue as much, if not more so, than a hardware and equipment issue or an issue of having armed guards and personnel. It's an issue of keeping safety in the forefront of, of the minds on a daily basis. School administrators, school staff checking those doors as they walk down the hallway to make sure that they're secured and, and someone can't just open them from the outside making sure that you reasonably diversify your drills, such as lockdown drills, not just doing them in the morning when it's convenient at 9, 10 in the morning, but doing them during a lunch period or their arrival and dismissal. And in reporting this podcast and speaking with parents and experts, that message has been reinforced over and over again. You can add all the security measures, all the equipment, all the hardening you want to schools, but at the end of the day, many believe it really boils down to two things, training and culture. We moved here for the schools, and unfortunately, we've we've seen those have some issues. But uh, I'm not sure those issues aren't present everywhere. That's Tony Montalto. His daughter Gina was murdered at Stoneman Douglas. He told me that he believes teachers nowadays need specific security training. In the world we live in now, that has to be part of the training. Um, you know. Uh, I believe one of the recommendations in the federal commission report on school safety was to include some security training for teachers getting certified. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate, but you can't send people out there without some knowledge of how to be safe. For Max Schachter, it's an issue of realizing that school shootings can happen anywhere. He says Parkland proves that. When I spoke with him, he pointed to a lack of reporting crimes and incidents on the Stoneman Douglas campus as a major factor in the perception of how safe a school is. I think the biggest threat to making schools safe around the country is changing the mindset that it can't happen here. You know, um, We were a victim of that mindset. Parkland was voted the 15th safest place to live in the country just two days prior to February 14th. And part of that was because you had you know, you had Marjorie Stoneman Douglas administrators lying to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and saying that there were no threats, there were no bullying, there was no trespassing, no harassment for years. And those were all lies. So, um, but people have to get out of that mindset. If it can happen in Parkland, if it can happen in beautiful Sandy Hook, can happen anywhere in the country. Max Schachter's comments are supported by a finding by the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission that he served on. The commission found that in the school year 2016-2017, there was, quote, little to no activity reported, unquote, 
for incidents that school districts are supposed to report to the state of Florida at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Those incidents range from offenses like murder, sex crimes, and weapons possession to selling drugs, burglary, and bullying. Now, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently asked that a statewide grand jury look into several issues of school safety, including whether school officials violated state law by, quote, systematically underreporting incidents of criminal activity to state officials. That speaks directly to Max's concern. So I've asked Broward schools about this issue in the past, and last fall I was told that school leaders are reminded that they must accurately report this information to the state. And now the Broward School District is going to do regular audits of school discipline policies and records. Max Schachter is so dedicated to this issue that he's traveled widely to examine other school districts and spoken to experts about it. He pushed for the creation of a national clearinghouse to share best practice information on school safety. And he's also taking the memory of his son, Alex, to try and start a national school safety rating system. When I spoke with him in January, he told me what kind of information they'll use to rate schools. Once we develop that rating system that will be based on proven best practices, uh, does your school have a code red policy? Does your school, when was the last time you had a code red drill? Uh, does your school have, do your classrooms have hard corners? Do you know where to go in an emergency? Do your kids know where to go? Do you have an intercom system? Do you have a good guy with a gun on your campus? Max is really a walking catalog of school safety ideas. Listen to some of them. All people coming onto campus should be uh, monitored. I'm in favor of a key fob. And, uh, and when there's an emergency, a, a teacher can press that key fob and in two seconds, law enforcement is notified and they can respond. You need to create barriers and you need to have, you know, um, uh, you know levels of security, um, per, you know, circles around the campus. And just the act of walking into a school is now a new experience right, for I families of the Parkland victims. First time I've been inside a school building um, since the tragedy. It was This is Ryan Petty again. He told me a story about the first time he entered a school building after Elena died. It wasn't Stoneman Douglas. It was a different school. It was, it was an emotional moment for me to go in there, but then to go into that classroom and, and see that there were two doors, very large windows into each of those doors. And I, and I, I walked back outside and I looked through the glass and tried to see where the safe zones would be in that classroom and because there are two doors and the windows are quite big there weren't a lot of safe zones and then I counted the number of desks and chairs and there were 36 chairs in that classroom and I tried to imagine how you get 36 kids into that safe area as quickly as possible you know it makes me it makes me angry it makes me sad other changes in school safety came from President Trump's federal commission on school safety Parents of Parkland students who lost their lives February 14th at the table in the White House when the Trump administration rolled out the Federal Commission on School Safety's 177-page report. The commission looked at diversionary discipline programs created during the Obama administration and basically rolled them back. Those Obama-era programs tried to give kids a second chance or allowed them to avoid being expelled from school if they committed a minor offense. But the New York Times reported that those policies were initially put in place to make sure that minority students were not disproportionately punished compared to white students. Now, President Trump's commission determined that those Obama-era policies led to leniency and increased violence in schools. So that meant a lot to me, uh, working on that with, with his cabinet, uh, that they put an end to it. They rescinded those policies. I'm Andy Pollock. 
Uh, my daughter, Meadow, was buried February 14th at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. So talk to us when you talk to Andy Pollack about safety in schools, it doesn't take long for the topic of these diversionary programs, like the Promise program here in Broward County, to come up. It's unsafe, and uh, it's just a lenient environment. Andy believes the confessed shooter in Parkland got second chance after second chance because of the Promise program put in place by Broward School Superintendent Robert Runcie. His social experiment cost my daughter her life. And why do you think that? What, what it, because it created this culture of not arresting kids. And this kid should have been arrested numerous times for hate crimes. He wore, everyone knows he had swastikas all over him at the school. He had the N-word on his backpack. He brought bullets to school. He threatened to shoot the school up. Andy believes that if the confessed shooter had faced more serious consequences, like getting arrested, for instance, he might not have been able to legally buy a gun, and the shooting might not have happened. And all this raises another question. If the confessed shooter had all of these behavioral problems, why was he in a mainstream school like Stoneman Douglas? We'll dig into that in our next episode. Broward School Superintendent Robert Runcie has continued to stand by the Promise program. I interviewed him about it late last year. Promise is about interventions for kids um, who have committed minor misdemeanor-related offense, not serious felonies and crimes. Runcie told me then that he believes the Promise program and others like it actually provide more consequences for students. Instead of you just being out on the street, you actually had to go to a program where you would get interventions, you would get services, there would be accountability. At a news conference recently, Runcie said the chair of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Safety Commission found that the Promise program likely played no role in allowing the confessed shooter to get a gun. I think the words he used was that is irrelevant, immaterial, and basically being used as a political red herring. And in late February, Broward Schools released a proposal to tighten up that Promise program. School district leaders said the proposed changes would lead to stricter punishments, more oversight, and greater information sharing on students in the programs between schools, the police, and state officials. Now, that's one controversial topic that's emerged from the Parkland shooting. Here's another one. It's critical to have armed personnel available at a moment's notice. Arming teachers. President Trump talked about it when he met with his school safety commission. And the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission overwhelmingly recommended to the state that arming teachers is something they should look at. The Florida legislature is currently considering it. The Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Safety Commission said the program should be voluntary, that it should include stringent background checks and rigorous training. But polls show a majority of people in Florida do not want more guns in schools. Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd served on the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Safety Commission. He made a strong case for arming teachers. The more people we have appropriately trained and appropriately equipped after they're appropriately selected, the safer the kids are because we have to get there in seconds. Andy Pollack also thinks arming willing teachers makes sense. And we don't want the teachers that don't want to do it. We, we don't want anyone that doesn't want to do it. But the person that's able to go through that intense course and pass it, I want that person there on that third floor in between my child who is begging for her life. I would love to have that person on that third floor. You don't think it would lead to more problems in the schools? With, no, you not know? the training that they get, and uh, it's not going to lead to it. And society, the way it is, that's what we need. Uh, we can't afford to have five deputies at every school. But when I asked other Parkland families about this, there's a healthy dose of skepticism. Yeah, so Debbie Hickson I, is a teacher. Her response to the idea of arming teachers was succinct. 
worst idea ever. And Manny Oliver, whose son Joaquin was murdered at Stoneman Douglas, said he cannot imagine teachers being armed. Okay. Every time we create a new, um, a new uh, defensive way of fighting this, we assume that it's going to happen again. When we say let's arm teachers, we assume that it's going to happen again. We assume that another shooting will happen in another school. Why are we doing that? Why, how come we have to deal with it? Because the gun lobby is so powerful that it's untouchable? and our politicians are afraid to talk about it. I think that is exactly why, honestly. But guess what, I'm not afraid. I have nothing to lose. I already lost the most valuable thing that anyone can have. So I'm not afraid of any lobby or any culture at all. Ken Trump, the school safety expert, thinks the answer is more officers, not teachers carrying guns. What do you think about arming teachers? No. <laughs> I, I think that it, I strongly believe that if you want to have an armed presence on campus, it should be a trained, commissioned law enforcement officer. Uh, if teachers want to be armed with uh, textbooks and technology, not firearms, and if you want to have a, an armed presence on campus, get a trained, commissioned law enforcement officer because having an armed presence on campus goes far beyond training to shoot, clean, and holster the gun. It's a mindset, it's a professional discipline, it's, a, it's an approach and a threat analysis that law enforcement officials are practiced and experienced and work through on a day-to-day -day basis. The debate over arming teachers goes on, and that's just one piece of the large school safety puzzle. These questions over securing our schools are fundamental for parents and educators who worry that the next school shooting could be in their backyard. And then there's the issue of money, and that's really a big factor in all of this. Whether it's adding more school resource officers or security specialists, or adding more mental health supports for students, or more equipment like bulletproof glass to schools, all of that takes money. Schools already face funding shortages and tight budgets and chronically underpaid teachers and staff. Adding in these expensive safety measures and equipment likely isn't in the budget. This is a conversation that gained traction after the Parkland shooting, and the victims' families and other experts in the field truly hope the lessons learned here in South Florida resonate and take hold across the country. As we wrap up this episode, I'm still pondering that question about whether our schools are any safer one year after Parkland. After reporting this podcast, my takeaway is that it's extremely difficult to make systemic changes to culture and training in just a few months. This is a process, a long process, and an expensive process, but it's a process that appears long overdue. As I was researching information for this podcast, I came across an interview that my television station, CBS4 in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, did with Broward School Superintendent Runcie back in December 2012. It was on the day of the Sandy Hook school shooting in Connecticut. 26 children and adults were murdered there. Runcie told us, and I'm quoting here, the safety of our students is our highest priority. The district has safety measures in place to facilitate a safe teaching and learning environment. We continuously review our security protocols for our school campuses, unquote. Now, a little more than five years later, Parkland happened. Experts and people who have studied Parkland and other school shootings fear it's not a matter of if another school shooting will happen. They say it's a matter of when and where. And Ryan Petty fears that until all stakeholders make school safety a priority, we will see more tragedies. 
and I don't know that we figured out how to get there, uh, how to how to make this important enough that in school districts and schools and communities and cities and states where this hasn't happened or hasn't been a big issue, how do you get them to take it seriously and address it? Coming up on the next episode of Parkland, one year later. He was angry for various reasons, but he was also very conscious of fame. We'll look deeper into the life and motivations of the confessed Parkland shooter, and we'll look at what we've learned about preventing these types of mass school shootings. Your child's right to a free public education in the least restrictive environment ends at my child's right to come home. That's next on Parkland One Year Later. You can hear previous episodes of this podcast on our website. Go to cbsmiami.com slash parkland. We've also got additional coverage of our television news stories on the Parkland tragedy on the website, as well as some important documents and investigative reports from the case if you want to read more about it. You can also find episodes of the podcast on Apple Podcasts by searching Parkland one year later.